Hey, good morning. We are going to continue our series entitled Fish Face. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the tank life and that how people have this misconception about Christianity. They think, I don't want to be a Christian because of all the rules and regulations and because of all the boundaries. When in fact, Jesus said this, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. The apostle Paul made the declaration in Galatians chapter 5 that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And God wants us to live our life free. He, he doesn't want us walking in the bondage. He doesn't want us walking in, in slavery to sin. And he, he wants us to, to be living outside of the tank, outside of that issue of confinement, that he wants us to, to live and function free. And last Sunday, we talked about Shark Week, right? It says a little bit later in Galatians chapter 5, it says this, if you keep biting one another, you're going to end up devouring one another. We talked about the relationship that God wants us to have with one another and, and the disposition that he wants us to present both uh, in the body of Christ and to the world. It's often said that, that God's army is the only army that kills its own wounded. And there's, there's something that we have to do to bring a, a fundamental shift in the way, that, the way that we live our life and the way that we present Christ to the world. This morning... On that same theme, fish face, what it really means to be a Christian. I, I, I want to I talk to you about deep water, just going, <laughs> facing the, the deep things in life and, and, and what God's word has to say about that. In fact, take your Bible and turn to Luke, the eighth chapter. And, uh, and as you're doing that, let me, let me talk to you for a few moments about Things that aren't as they seem. Things that aren't as they seem. You know, we, we live in a world where this issue of, of bait and switch is common. And, and it's, it's, it's everywhere, right? Ashley Furniture right now is in the middle of a class action lawsuit because their leather furniture in the fine print, it's not actually leather. Well, it is leather, but it's not made from a piece of leather. It's taken from bits and scraps of leather that they kind of grind up and then they make into a leather-like surface that has, a, that has a propensity to flake after just a few months. But, you know, what's a little flakiness on a sofa? That's not that big of a deal, right? It, it, it has leather in it. It, it, it's, it, it. it has leather ingredients in it. it. Isn't that what you expect when you go buy furniture, right? Or, or the fact that 84% of the white tuna that's sold in America is not tuna. It's actually a fish called escolar. And if you Google escolar, you'll find out that escolar has some interesting influences on the human body. Um, and, uh, and I'll just say this, that, uh, that if you think you're eating tuna, you just might want to stay close to uh, some facilities. Uh, and you can, you can fill in the blanks with that. Volkswagen... Let's talk about Volkswagen for a moment, right? Largest automotive producer in the world, Volkswagen installed software in their, in their vehicles because they were so proud of their clean diesel product, right? Their, their, their new uh, turbo diesel. They installed this software on over a half a million cars in the US and, and, and on roughly 10 and a half million cars worldwide that what it did is it allowed them to, uh, to tell when a car uh, was being evaluated 
for its fuel efficiency and for its emissions. And basically, it would lie to the device that was put onto the car to determine the emissions. And so Volkswagen talked about how incredible and, and how efficient their cars were and that they were clean emissions when in fact they're putting 40 times the amount of allowed um, um, uh, nitrogen oxide emissions, which is a smog forming pollutant that, that's linked to lung cancer and all sorts of different things. Um, their cars were putting 40 times the federal limit into the air. Eh, it's semantics, right? It's bait and switch. It's, it's not really what we were thinking we were getting. It's, it's not what we signed up for. Jesus, in Luke chapter 8, you'll find this in Matthew chapter 8, you'll find it in Mark chapter 4. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And, and while they are traveling along and without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake uh, so that the, the waves were coming over the boat, right? And they were fearful. <laughs> Why? Because Luke 8.23 tells us this. They were in great danger. Disciples went and woke him. Master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith, he asked the disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. God, I thank you today for your word. I pray that it would truly be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit all these things to you. We thank you and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Without warning, the Bible says. Without warning. You know what I have discovered? Is that most of the storms of life come without warning. Don't they? Most of the storms of life come without warning. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about the, the truth of life's storms. Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, on the, the night before his, his crucifixion, he made this statement. He said, in this world, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Can I offer an observation this morning? That's not a scripture that is quoted very much in the church world today. It's not something that we talk about. It, it's usually not a good idea to mention it just before you're going to receive an offering. You know, in this world, you will have trouble. But it is a reality, isn't it? Jesus saying to those in the upper room, in this world, world, you will have trouble. There's 11 of his key disciples there at that point. Number 12, Judas has already left to betray him. And of the 11 that Jesus is speaking to, 10 will die a martyr's death. One will live out his life exiled. 
in this world, you will have trouble. The heroes of the faith, Moses, we talk about Moses being one of the fathers of the faith. Moses, I have called you. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to spend 40 years dealing with a bunch of rebellious people in the wilderness. You're going to get them at the edge of the promised land, but you're not going in. Noah, Noah, you've got to build a boat by yourself. And as you're doing it, have people call you a madman. And by the way, you're going to go a little crazy at the end. Man, sign me up. I'm in. This God thing, this is, it's all that I wanted and more, right? So here's what we do. We flip the script. Listen, all you got to do is believe and receive. All you got to do is confess and you'll be blessed. All you got to do is, is have faith and it will come to you. And here's the good news. That if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all your personal dreams come true. And nothing wrong ever happens again. Anybody have that experience with God? Right? And the disciples are having a great time. They're following Jesus. Uh, he, is, he is the rock star of the day. And all these crowds are around them. And, and life is good and life is wonderful. And then Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. All right. I'm in. Without warning. A furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. It is an inevitability if you are a Christ follower that you will face situations where it seems like there is no hope and Jesus is sleeping. Let me say that again. And it shouldn't come as a surprise to you because we see it in the word of God. If you are a Christ follower, there will come a time, a moment, where it seems like it is an impossible situation. And Jesus is asleep. A financial mountain that it appears there is no way to get over. A doctor's diagnosis that shakes your faith to the core. A friend that you have trusted with the very essence of your life and they betray you. A loved one that you've made a covenant commitment to that says, I have found someone else and I don't want to be married to you or I haven't found somebody else, but I'd rather live life alone than live life with you. Right? And the, the winds of adversity, the waves of calamity, the storms of life, they come. In this world, you will have trouble. Friend, 
here's a reality I want you to know. That storms will come even when you're following God. In Job, quintessential example in Job. In Job 1.1 it says this. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Job was doing nothing wrong, minding his own business, walking with godliness and integrity. When God points Job out to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God, please do not point me out. <laughs> Seriously. Right? And Job, as, as, as Job goes through these challenges that ultimately God has a design to bless him through. But as Job's going through the midst of the challenges, here's what you'll find. That Job's wife assumed that his problems were because God wasn't there. Job, are you still holding on to your integrity, she asks him. Are, Job, seriously? In light of all that you've gone through, are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. That's married life right there. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's what married life should be like. I've been married 31 years incredibly happily. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's what it can be, right? Um, if, 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 if God's not in the center of your marriage, there's going to be three, three rings. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. Job's friends assumed his problems were the result of sin. Job, you must have done something wrong. Because we can see that God's hand was on your life. We can see that God's blessing was on your life. Job, you must have done something wrong. Not all misfortune that befalls Christians is chastisement for sin. Let me say that again. Not all misfortune that befalls Christians is chastisement for sin. And here's what will happen. We'll say, you must be going through this difficulty in your life because you've done something wrong. Or you must be going through this difficulty in your life because you have a lack of faith. We, you must be going through this difficulty in life because there's something that is deficient in you. And in Luke chapter 8, so in Matthew chapter 8, and Mark chapter 4, this story of the disciples being in the boat, facing a furious storm, so much so that scripture says they were in danger and these men who lived their life on this lake, who were born and raised on this body of water, are in fear of losing that life. They did not face a storm because of sin. They did not face a storm because of lack of faith. They were in the storm simply because they were following Jesus. So, should we then go, yeah, you know what? This Jesus thing is too much work. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me, let, me, let me finish before you come to a conclusion. One of the realities of the storms of life is that the storms still come even when, when you're following God. And for some of you that have struggled in your faith because you've, you've heard sermon after sermon that, that has taken you down the road of easy believism, 
let me, for the entire Christian community, let me apologize to you. There are those who will tell you what you want to hear, and they do it out of ignorance, they do it out of arrogance. And sometimes they do it, quite honestly, because they're opportunistic. There is a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. There's a great advocate, there's a great adversary. And life has its challenges. And that's the reason why David could say this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David, by the way, David, one of the heroes of the faith. David, here's what I'm going to position you to do, God says. I'm going to position you to slay Goliath. And David, for generations, children will sing about you. And people will talk about you. Oh, by the way, you killing the giant and saving your people from destruction, yeah, the result of that is the most powerful man in, uh, in your nation, the King King Saul, yeah, he's going to go a little nuts and he's going to become very jealous of you and try to kill you. So much so that you're going to have to flee. So much so that you're going to flee and actually, believe it or not, David, you kill the, 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 the giant, Goliath, the Philistine giant. Yeah, you'll actually go and live among the Philistines for a while. Really? Sign me up for that, God. That's what I want. I want, I want the king... Who is, the, who is the greatest warrior in the entire nation. I want that guy after me wanting me dead. I'm in. The storms still come when we're following God. Jesus says this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. It's interesting, right? He's saying, in this world you will have trouble. I tell you this that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. One of the things that happens with storms is they, they will steal our focus, right? It, it'll, bring a, it'll bring a perception shift to us. That's the reason why in the narrative that we're reading here in Luke chapter 8 that the fishermen go wake up a carpenter. Doesn't that seem odd? The fishermen go wake up the carpenter. They go and they wake him, master, master. We're going to drown. Master, master, we're going to drown. I, I love the I love the, the finality of their statement. Master, master, we're going to drown. Mark puts it this way. It says, Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Matthew tells us that they say to him, Lord, save us. Lord, don't you care? Don't you understand we're going to drown? Drown? 
It's very easy when the struggle comes to focus on the storm rather than the Savior. And that's what the enemy will do. The enemy will bring these storms into our life. He'll bring these storms into our day to try to get us to to focus on the storm instead of the Savior. And we'll we'll find ourselves wavering the faith as a result. And we start wrestling with self-doubt as we as we trip over the question why? 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 It's the question that's asked in a hospital room when that sheet is pulled all the way over. Why, God? Why? If you're there and you have the ability to save, deliver, and heal, why am I now planning memorial service? Why? Why, why God? If, if your word says, and my God shall supply all of your needs, why is it that I look at the mountain of overdue bills that I have and I, I look at the amount of resource that I have and it, it doesn't appear from my perspective that you're keeping your end of the bargain. Why? And what happens is this, is we, we shift our focus to the reasons instead of the relationship. Say that again. We, we shift our focus from relationship to reasons. And, and, and that's, that's where the struggle comes. When our focus becomes the issue of the moment rather than Rather than what God has in store. The story of Job, it's a very important story. In history, it's a very important story in Scripture. And the journey that God takes Job on is vital to Job's understanding. At at the end of Job's story, Job says this. He says, God, before I knew about you, and, but now I know you. Before I had an understanding of you, now I have a relationship, now I have a connection with you. And God has always been about relationship. 
That's the reason why it says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, it doesn't say what shall separate us from the love of God. It says who shall separate us. Right? Because it's, it's, it's a relationship thing. And what the storms of life do, they come in and, and they, try to, they try to steal our focus. These, uh, these men in the boat that were, that were fishermen, and, and, and even those that weren't fishermen, they, they grew up in, in this area where they were regularly, I mean, they, 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 their, their regular travel would have been back and forth across this lake. They were, they were even used to the storms. See, this lake, this is, sometimes in the Bible it's called the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Um, but it, it, it is, in fact, it is a lake. It's called uh, Lake Canestra, the Lake of the Harp, because it's shaped like a harp. It's from, from north to south, it's 13 miles. At its widest point, it's seven miles wide. And it's, 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 it's normally a very calm lake. But what can happen, because this lake, it kind of sits down in a bowl, okay, and there, there are a couple of valleys that come in, what can happen is this wind can, can, can come in and this, this normally very placid lake can become very violent very, very quickly. It's kind of like our life. It's kind of like our life. That um, here's, here's what I have found. In, in my in my, in my walk with God, with, in, in my journey in Christ, um, more often than not, the sea's pretty calm. Every once in a while, though, those winds will blow. Right? And when they do, it gets, gets pretty dicey pretty quickly. The disciples have been through this before. Just like you and I, we've, we've been through the difficulties before, right? We've, we've, we've faced the financial challenge before. We've faced the doctor's diagnosis before. We've, we've experienced miraculous provision before. We've, we've, we've had God uh, touch us with miraculous healing. And yet, the next time a similar challenge comes, often our first focus isn't on relationship. Right? We start dealing with the reasons rather than the relationship. And we start wondering and questioning. And can doubt God or, or become frustrated and angry with God. Because these storms come and they, they steal our focus. Right, here, here's the, the question that I would ask you today. Is it possible that there's a storm in your life that has kind of blown you sideways and it's got you filled with questions, looking for reasons rather than holding on to that relationship. And you, you came to church today and you came looking for hope. You came looking for answers. 
You, you came today on, on some level wanting to, wanting to wake up Jesus in your life. Because you feel like you're in a storm. And at this point, you're still convinced, at least on some level, that Jesus is there. But he's asleep. Let me tell you when God sleeps. God sleeps when all is well. In those moments when God is sleeping, when it appears to you that God is sleeping, know this, that all is well. Luke chapter 8 tells us this, that Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Isaiah 26 says this, he keeps those in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. I, um, a number of years ago, I was, I was doing this bike-a-thon it was back when I was a youth pastor. We were doing this bike-a-thon to raise money for missions. And uh, we're biking along and, and uh, in unfamiliar territory. We're doing this 100-mile bike-a-thon. And out of nowhere comes the angriest, most ferocious dog I have ever seen. And one of the guys riding, he was riding right alongside me, um, uh, uh, Roger was his name, Roger Osbury. And Roger's right alongside me, and this dog is coming. Burr, burr, burr. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm a, and, and Roger goes, he goes, Ed, got this. And he reaches into the, the saddlebag that he has on his, on his bike, and he pulls out this battery operated squirt gun, right? And we're just biking along. Here comes this dog. Burr, burr, burr. And he just, he waits till the dog gets close, right? He's waiting, waiting, waiting. When the dog gets close, he pulls the trigger, this little battery-operated squirt gun, and this dog goes from running off, gone. I said, what in the world? And, and Roger just looks at me and goes, ammonia. Puts it, puts, puts the, puts the, he goes, doesn't harm the dog. He goes, but that dog will not chase another bike ever. I was in full panic thinking this dog was going to rip off my leg and Roger was, got this. The, the disciples don't understand why Jesus isn't freaking out. Jesus, wh why are you sleeping? What was wrong with you? Are you crazy? We're about to die. Don't you care? And we struggle that God doesn't Join us in our panic. But friends, God doesn't join us in our panic because here's what he says. I've got you. Amen. And, and, and I've, I've got this. Isn't it interesting what, what Jesus says to them? He replies you of little faith, why are you so afraid? See, the key to choosing faith over fear is to position ourselves in life so that we're feeding our faith, not our fears. 
And, and if we understand that these storms come, and we understand that God's not surprised by them, then it can, it can give us great comfort. See, my friend Roger, he anticipated the dog. The dog was no surprise to him. Me? I'm going to go ride a bike. I don't, need, I don't need to deal with predators riding a bike. You know what I had in my little bag? Snacks. <laughs> Do you think that's going to keep the dog from coming at me? That's going to bring more dogs right to the party. Hey, food. He's going to tell all his friends, hey, if you're hungry, chase a bike. Not a good plan. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared. See, when I understand the relationship that I have with the Father, and I, and I understand the, the promises that he's made to me, when these inevitable storms come, I can respond in faith rather than, than fear. They're amazed by this. What kind of man is this? Even the winds obey him. Let me say this. I think all too often in life we give in to the storm. Right? We, we don't anticipate it. We become frustrated by it. it. It eats away at our faith. We begin to doubt God or become angry with God. Right? It's interesting. Even, even, even in, so in Job's situation, Job's wife assumes God's not there. Job's friends assumed that Job did something wrong. Job knew he hadn't done anything wrong, and Job had enough of an understanding of God that he knew that God was there. But Job was convinced that God somehow changed his disposition towards him. Right? So here's Job's response. He says, you know what? God is God and God can do whatever he wants to do. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, Job says. But he goes on to say this. He says, I curse the day that I was born. I wish I had never been born because there's nothing left for me. Right? So Job doesn't doubt God's existence. Job doesn't get stuck in the guilt trap, right? It's not the doubt trap, it's not the guilt trap, but here's what he does get stuck in. He gets stuck in the fact that somehow God has changed his mind about me.
And it's real easy for us to get to that point of going, you know, God, I, I, there's no way I can deny you because I look around, I, I look at the world and, and the evidence of your hand is there. God, I, I've been in environments where I've, where I've seen your power manifest in some incredible ways. I just believe that for some reason you've chosen not to not to help me out of this one. And so I'm stuck on my own. And what we do is this, is we we give in to the storm. We give in to the storm. When Paul was shipwrecked, that was, we're told that, that, they, that they gave in to the storm. It's recorded in Acts. We never give in to the storm. Because when we give in to the storm, what we've done is we've shifted our focus to the storm. And that's not where God wants you to live. He wants you to live with an understanding that all things, all things, all things do work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. John 16, 33. I'm going to go back to that. Jesus said this. In this world, he says, listen, I tell you this so that you, that you may have peace. I tell you this so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Right? <laughs> so, so the world brings trouble, but he has overcome the world. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He spoke that over a rebellious king. How much more is it true in your life? Plans to prosper you. Not to harm you. I, I know that in the midst of the storm, it's it's tough to see it. I, I know that in the, in the midst of the storm, it's, it's easy to have that disposition. Jesus, don't you care? We are going to drown. Do something. Trust him. Trust him. It's a lot easier to trust him when you, ex when you anticipate the storm. When you expect the storm. We get this. In Orlando, Florida, we get this. Right? Because we live in a part of the world that it's not a question of if 
we'll have a major storm. It's a question of when. Might be named Charlie. It might be named Rita. It might be named Wilma. Not Edwin. No, that's too good of a name. I don't know what it's like at your house, but at our house, we, we've got some stuff just in case. How about your spiritual house? You got some stuff set aside for the storm? Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. <laughs> Jesus told us that. History proves that. Our own experience screams that. Sometimes you face deep water. And when you do, here's what you'll find. That is that his hand is always there and it's always true. And if it seems like God is sleeping, maybe you should take a nap with him because everything's going to be okay.